Hi everyone, it's Joachim Akran, your host of the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. In today's podcast episode, I'm talking with Elan Greenspoon, who is the founder and CEO of Echo3D, a cloud-based platform for handling 3D, AR, and VR assets. After realizing that the metaverse and other big 3D gaming platforms were becoming huge, Elon and his brother started Echo3D a few years ago, and now they have raised a VC round from the top gaming VCs. In this discussion with Elon, we talk about his founder journey, how they validated the 3D platform idea as a business, and how Elon approaches founder investor fit and like how first-time founders should approach problems with their companies. But before we go to this episode, here's a few words from our sponsors. Before we go on, I'd like to introduce today's sponsor, GameEye. One of the biggest challenges when making a multiplayer game is what do you do if your game gets a sudden surge of players? What happens when a streamer picks up your game and you get a few thousand, even a few million new players? It all comes down to your servers. There are three major problems that can happen if you get more players than you can handle. First, there's an issue of lag. The game will feel slow for some people to play, making it an unfair game. Second, you can run out of servers completely, leading to long queue times and frustrated players. Third, there's the cost. Even if you use a cloud solution, the costs are going to skyrocket if you're using too many servers. That's where GameEye comes in. They host your multiplayer games without a huge price tag, and they automatically spin up new sessions for you only when you need them. They do this by aggregating the world's best server infrastructure and making it all available through a simple API. By using GameMy, you can simply run your live ops knowing that they can spin up game sessions anywhere in the world and make sure that your players are always put in the best locations. You send them the information and GameMy will find you the best location. GameMy, bringing your players closer together. Check them out at GameEye.com. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you. Are you looking to promote your game with content creators? Maybe you've thought about it, but didn't have the time or budget to try it out. Now, with Matchmade Express campaigns, you can easily work with creators on sponsored YouTube videos for $500 per campaign. Matchmade scans a pool of 9.2 million creators to find you relevant fits. Your budget gets allocated to several creators and their content will go live in days instead of weeks. You don't need to worry about negotiating fees or handling the logistics of delivery. The result is authentic, creative content that drives genuine engagement. Head on over to matchmade.tv to try it out. And don't forget to mention that Elite Game Developers sent you.
right, we're live. Hey, Elon. Hey, how's it going? So good to be here. Yeah, it's going good. Uh, just slush is happening next week. We have snow that's melting here in Helsinki. So it's all ready <laughs> for that kind of event. That's amazing. Perfect. Yeah, slush for slush. Hey, to kick things off, I wanted to first ask you a question about like, how did you make your way into into tech, into startups, and to to eventually found Echo. Oh, love it. Yeah, so I'm a kind of, you know, I've been a nerd for so long. I did my master's in computer science at Columbia University, specializing in AR, VR, and computer graphics. Did my undergrad in kind of computer science, electrical engineering. So again, I'm a nerd and certified and kind of a big believer in the intersection between kind of cloud and, and, and 3D content. And I got into this space, so I live in New York and I went to the Microsoft store on Fifth Avenue and tried the HTC Vive headset, which now seems like a lifetime ago, but it was like less than 10 years ago. And I was blown away. It was amazing. It was like unbelievable. And I, I think a lot of people who wear VR headsets today get the same kind of experience, like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. And that kind of propelled me into kind of going to the kind of master program in computer science at Columbia University. And after that, I always knew that I want to start a company. So me and my co-founder, who's my twin brother, started the company right out of right out of Columbia. And three years after, here we are. We have Echo 3D, which is a cloud platform for 3D applications. We have over 12,000 developers on our platform, and we just raised $4 million with the support of Convoy Ventures and Reimagine Ventures and Space Capital and kind of angels from Meta and, and GitHub and, and Datadog. So amazing, amazing journey so far and excited for the future. Yeah, that's really, really interesting journey you've had. Like, let's dig into the to the early stages. Like, why did founding the company, why, why did it make sense? So my thesis project back at Columbia University was kind of AR for medical, for surgical use cases. So we took CT and MRI scans, converted them into 3D models, and then had a physician see a patient's heart floating above them during surgery. It was an amazing experience. I got to scrub into surgery, basically stand there in the OR and see them literally operating on the live patient while the patient's heart was floating above them during this surgery. But the problem was that in order to do that, I had to wake up really, really early. And that's something that I really, really hate in order to kind of get to the hospital at like 6 a.m., take those 2D scans, convert them to 3D models, put them on these smart glasses, build the application for the physician, and in general, it's like, what is going on here? Like, we're literally just replacing 3D content, but I, as a developer, as an engineer, need to do so much work. And then we started talking about kind of other use cases, if it's gaming or data visualization or training. And everyone said kind of the same thing. It was really hard to kind of manage and deliver 3D content. So we said, okay, let's build a platform that solves that problem, provide people with tools to switch out content really easily, convert, compress content, make it easily streamable. And then we built Echo because of that. So the problem nice. was kind of personal and professional. And we said, okay, let's solve it for everyone. You have that idea. What were the next steps then? Like sure. towards validating that there's actually a business that makes sense there. So that's a great question. That's some, some, the best advice I can give kind of um, up and coming entrepreneurs is to talk to as many people as you can. We kind of, mm. once we kind of set up on the problem, we interviewed between 100 and 300 kind of developers who built AR, VR games, applications. And we asked them, do you have that problem? We really engage with them. And that's something that kind of, again, as a, the best advice I can give entrepreneurs is to talk to as many people as you can. Ask them about their problems, ask them about how they're doing things today, what can become better and stuff like that. Again, it's all, it was all about validation, was all about talking to as many people as we can. Yeah, thinking, well, 
it's probably not only in gaming, but what I feel is is happening is that like gamers are trying to solve their own problems often, but it's so hard to know if it's actually a problem that a yeah. lot of other people have. A hundred percent. And specifically in the world of gaming, think about how it kind of evolved today. Like we have things like Fortnite. It's a game. But honestly, it's a social network. People come there to yeah. hang out, talk to each other. We see gaming also kind of becoming these kind of e-commerce platforms. You can buy stuff, you can buy digital assets. So suddenly all these issues that we have in different industries are kind of introduced in the world of games. And mm. it's pretty new. And a lot of kind of a new up-and-coming entrepreneur, if you have an issue, like you're gaming and you're getting some kind of issue, you're probably not the only one. Maybe you are, but I doubt it. So start to talk to other gamers, other people, see if the problem persists, and then you can find a way to build a startup in the world of gaming to solve this unique problem. And again, the, the, the way to kind of really feel optimistic about it is how games today are much more than games. So all the problems that you had startups solving for in different industries are now coming into the world of gaming. Yeah, definitely. You started talking to, to people about the idea. How did that lead to, to the next stage where you yeah. could take on more risk, take on more uh, stuff to actually like put a business together. So the conversations really helped us refine the message of the startup. So in the beginning, we said that we do server-side solutions for AR. No one even understood what we're talking about. And then yeah. after conversation 50, we said, oh, we're a cloud platform for 3D content because that resonated well with people. We're building the AWS for 3D, the Akamai for gaming. Suddenly these kind of messages resonated well. And we said, okay, now we're on to something. And again, that just comes with talking to as many people as you can. After that, we got into a few accelerator programs that kind of validated and de-risked our startup. We got grants from Y Combinator and NYC Media Lab and Verizon. We did like a really cool project around streaming 3D content over 5G. So small steps really kind of validated that we're on the right track. We're building something that people want. And then when we, the first to invest were Techstars, we went through one of their accelerator programs. They were amazing, but that was again, perfect. So now we have this kind of great validation that people are willing to invest. People are kind of, kind of literally invested in the future of this company. And after that, we did kind of a venture capital run around. After that, a bigger venture capital round. So these are kind of, again, I'm a big believer in the bottom up approach. So for, you, for any entrepreneur listening, kind of try to do that. Baby steps, try to get one kind of foot in front of the other to get more and more validation. De-risk your startup as you go, if it's through accelerators, or if it's through grants, or if it's through kind of different programs for entrepreneurs, and then scale up as fast as you can. How did you end up actually on this the venture raising path versus a bootstrap path? Because that's like, it, it feels obvious to me. I'm dealing with like dozens of startups who are on the yeah. venture path, but like, how did you make that decision? First of all, you have to realize that the venture path is not for everyone. Like you can have a business, you can take a bank, a bank loan. Venture is a specific financial model that really works for high risk, high reward companies. Companies that have a vision that is hard to execute in the beginning and might not be profitable for a while. And only in the future, you might IPO or you might exit for a really kind of a large amount of money. And that's the, kind of, that's the specific model. If your company isn't kind of, doesn't fit this model, that's fine. Like if you're opening a coffee shop, you don't have to have VC money, right? Like you can just take a bank loan or just like start your own and bootstrap. That's totally fine. A lot of startups start up as bootstrap. Like we started bootstrapping and then we saw, okay, we need more validation. We need to kind of raise capital because we want to kind of grow really, really fast with, with no kind of profits in the beginning. And again, that, that really kind of dives into how you're building your business. What's your vision and understanding again, that venture capital is a specific kind of business model that kind of uh, investment firms have, and you might not fit. And that's 
fine too. For us, it obviously fit because we are a kind of SaaS platform, a kind of software solution specifically for gaming, specifically for 3D that we need to kind of kind of expand really fast and kind of develop really fast before we hit profitability. And we're also kind of, you know, we found like the right people. Like we saw venture firms that believe in our vision, that subscribe to it. Conway Ventures who invested are amazing. We imagined ventures who invested. I love them. Space Capital, amazing people. So all of these kind of supporters that we brought in are people who are subscribing to our vision and want to take this to kind of to the next level. But again, that kind of fits into the VC kind of model. And, and if you're an entrepreneur, you're new building something, try to figure out, am I a VC backable company? Am I building something that again, has that kind of high risk, high reward model built in? Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. Like I, I've covered a lot about angel investing in, in the podcast, but I haven't had that many startups, founders that have gone through an accelerator. Can you talk about your experience with Techstars? Like what, what were the main takeaways from attending Techstars? Oh, I love it. So I love Techstars. They're amazing, amazing, amazing. Again, we're the first to kind of invest in our company. So kind of the first initial believers. These accelerated startups, accelerated programs, if it's Techstars, if it's Y Combinator, if it's 500 startups and many other are amazing. They are basically kind of pushing you through a program that is very dedicated to propel your startup forward. Uh, usually it's kind of 10 companies or a bit more in a kind of a very kind of kind of stressful environment, kind of all companies together trying to kind of take their company to the next level. It's very supportive because you have a lot of founders who are kind of literally in the same boat as you are trying to solve very similar problems. So it really helps. But also these programs, if you think about it, they literally invest in you. Like they have a stake in the game that you will be successful. And because they invest in a lot of startups, one of their key metrics is how successful the companies like come like Techstars, for example, can say, I think it was like over 90% of the companies are successful. Same thing with Y Combinator, same thing with 500 startups. So they, you know, they have it down. Like they understand how to help companies. They understand how to make sure that they're going to be successful. And if you can be a part of that's fantastic. And also being part of one of these programs really de-risks your startup in front of next kind of the venture capital investors because they know that you went through one of those programs and it kind of validates you and gives you that stamp of approval. Someone kind of looked at your company, you are one out of 10 or something like that. So that really, really helps. And again, even in smallest case, like even if you go to like a less known accelerator program or like a small, small startup accelerator, that's also fine. Because that means that like we went through some program and after that we went to Techstars. And I'm sure that they, when they looked at our application, like, oh, they went through a program that is very simple, like very similar, but it focused on AR, VR, 3D. So they went through an yeah. industry specific program. Now they're going through Techstars that is really kind of a startup focused program, focused on um, mentoring and networking. Perfect. So for you as an entrepreneur, you should definitely, definitely kind of try to find leverage, try to find all these kind of amazing supporters. And the last thing I'll say that a lot of these programs really expand your network. Like suddenly you meet, thousands of people that are so willing to help you. Texture specifically, the first two weeks are called Mentor Madness. You just sit down for two weeks straight, talking to 10 mentors a day, and all they want to do is just help you. How can we help you? How can you propel your company forward? And that's amazing. Like they're literally, uh, the, kind of the slogan is hashtag give first, but they, they're literally kind of giving first. They're literally trying to give help for you and you should definitely take it. I, I remember talking to, to a founder who, was, who went through Y Combinator and the process was, feeling like they really like ask you hard questions yeah. and you need to you need to show up like you need to progress constantly yeah. with what you're going after and solving really hard problems that you have with the business that you're trying to build and they're pushing you versus letting you coast yeah. <laughs> but you need to really like climb a, a steep hill 
A hundred percent. I would also say that the application process for these kind of accelerators is super valuable because you literally yeah. fill out a questionnaire of all the most important questions about your startup. Even if you don't get into these programs, you get the opportunity to be confronted with the most basic questions about yourself as a startup, as a founder, who's trying to build a venture back business. Um, so that's super, super important. Like apply these programs, regardless if you get in or not, because again, it just asks you the right question. And after that, like you said, have this accountability model that kind of really forces you to like progress every single week. And every week at Techstars, we have this kind of all hands meeting with all the companies and you need to kind of report back what you did, what, what works well, what doesn't. So for the first, for suddenly you have this community that can celebrate the things that go well and help you with the things that don't. Mm, exactly. Yeah. I think like then the, the quick question is like, you are in the accelerator, you're going through that process, but you had angels already on board. What was your experience for working with angels and what have you learned from working with those kind of individuals and how they could add value to a startup that is growing where things are so hectic every yeah. day? So I love our angels. They're amazing. And they were kind of, again, kind of the force supporters in our company. Raising from angels is more kind of personal. It's more kind of a relationship building exercise as opposed to kind of, here's a business plan and like, here's what we're going to do and whatever. But going back to what we said about kind of de-risking your startups toward a venture capital round, it's really important. If you find the right angels that can help you grow, or also, you know, if you find an executive at some big company that has like a good logo, that also helps, obviously, because when you come into kind of, you know, um, VCs and you're talking to all these kind of um, investors and they see that some executive at Meta invested in you, that's not bad, right? Like that means yeah. that someone can, again, look at your company, saw potential. They're also kind of working in big stuff and they're like seeing what's missing, what kind of internal, like what the big companies are not working on. So again, if, if, if we go back to our kind of initial, initial point, it's all about de-risking your startup. If it's through programs, if it's through accelerators, if it's through angel investors, you should just kind of work to establish that your company is venture backable, but also it's a obvious investment. Mm, that's really good. Let's go talk about Echo a bit. Yeah. How are you now helping game developers who are having these 3D projects and, and getting them off the ground? <clears throat> Can you can you describe like a typical game studio client and how they're using Echo? Yeah, so imagine that you're a developer using Unity or Unreal to build a game. So you know how to build your game, but how about hooking up servers or setting up all these kind of network infrastructure? So with Echo, everything works with a click. You can upload 3D content to Echo, we convert, we compress it, we make it available. And then automatically we set up all these servers that basically connect to your application, to Unity, to Unreal, mobile, web, anything. And then you're able to stream data from the cloud to your game engine. So your bill, your game bill will be super, super small because the assets, all the content is not, not actually built into the build, but it's in the cloud. And then when you play the game, you can kind of dynamically stream content from the cloud to your game. So not only your game becomes smaller, you can also change it dynamically remotely because now everything is connected to the cloud. Specifically now, a lot of games are very popular. The, the games that are really popular have seasonal content. So suddenly Christmas is coming up. Let's change all the characters to have Christmas hats or whatever. Today, what you need to do with a lot of um, kind of game studios do is like they need to release an update. All the users need to re-download everything. Or, and sometimes it's like gigs and gigs of data. And that doesn't make sense. Like when I go to Facebook, it just has new content. When I go to Twitter, it just has new content. Like it's, I don't need to reinstall the app to get new content. But that's not the case in gaming. So with Echo, you can literally 
change data remotely, upload content, almost like a Dropbox, and then automatically mm -hmm. things change in the game engine. And you can disable, disable feature remotely. You can kind of decide that you want to unlock new uh, features just with a click of a button, because suddenly your game is cloud connected. Suddenly your application is cloud connected. And that's kind of the biggest value prop that Echo brings. I was just this week and downloading one MOBA like an Asia mobile game that required me to download seven gigs. <laughs> like first off. That is something that we're really trying to change in the industry. Cause again, we, when we like these problems happen in web and mobile too, right? So like you had a website and websites were pretty bad, but then you had cloud solutions that were introduced and some of the websites could be social networks and e-commerce websites. Five years later, the same thing happened with mobile apps. You had mobile apps where they weren't that good, but then you had cloud solutions that allowed you to build dating apps and ride-hailing apps, and they're all the rage. So we went from web to mobile to now 3D, AR, VR, gaming, and we're seeing that cloud solutions are really needed to the world of gaming to basically make it much more scalable. Because we have games and they're cool, but again, if I go to a game today and I go to the game tomorrow, it's gonna be exactly the same game. It's gonna be exactly yeah. the same experience. It's not gonna change, and why? Why not have massively kind of user-generated content being uploaded all the time for any game? why you have like what do you have to download seven gigs of, of, of updates all the time it makes no sense so again with echo that means that instead of having to download seven gigs it will become much smaller because we compress and convert all the data and also it will be, the download will be much faster because we kind of scale everything to different servers all over the world so if you have gamers in japan they're going to get the data from a server in japan if you have users in san francisco they're going to get the data from a server on the west coast but also that data would be kind of constantly updated as opposed to like, okay, now I need to wait to download this kind of update. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. So uh, can you, can you kind of elaborate on how 3d is different from 2d when you're doing like these kind of solutions where you're supporting 3d, what is yeah. hard about that? Love it. That's, that's my, literally my favorite question. So if you think about kind of 2d content, like images and videos, Literally a single file, supported usually everywhere. In 3D, it's so much different. You usually have like one 3D model could be thousands of files. It could be a mesh, a texture, animation, um, the skeleton. And that's just, all these different files are just one 3D model. And if you want to change a texture, you still need to change, kind of rebuild the entire um, 3D model. So that's one thing. The other thing is just like literally the, the kind of the, the way the, the, the file works. The other thing is kind of the file format. So different platforms have different file specifications. iOS only works with USDZ file formats, web likes GLB. And these different file formats basically mean that you're not 100% in control of what works at different places. It's not like we have a JPEG that works anywhere. So with Echo, when you upload one file format, let's say an FBX file, automatically it's converted to OBJ, GLB, like all these different file formats automatically. So you know it's going to work everywhere. And last thing is size. 3D models can be huge, specifically if you upload like kind of scans or avatars, they can be really, really large. So for you to kind of basically make them work in the game, you have to find a way to convert them, to compress them, so it'll be super small. And that's what we do at Echo, that basically upload something and automatically get kind of compressed um, to a much smaller size, or we do kind of polycount decimation that makes, it makes the, the file size small. So this is kind of on the content side. On the experience side, we also have the issue of like, 3D content is super spatial and super kind of location aware. You as a user, you can't move an image or a video on a website. 
but you can definitely move a 3D couch across the room. And that location needs to be updated on cloud. Or if you're playing a game and you have an avatar walking around an environment, that avatar is, exists somewhere and that location needs to update on the cloud. So that's something that we just don't have in kind of images and videos, that understanding like kind of content is kind of resides somewhere and that somewhere could change. And that somewhere can also be kind of in a real world. So like, let's say I have users in Japan that they need to get the data from a server in Japan, but also inside, let's say they got the data, but now it needs to, in the, in the kind of metaverse they're playing in, that kind of needs to be located somewhere. So how do we know that that's the right location? How do we engage um, users for interacting with the content? What does that mean to interact with content? In 2D, we know, you know, you have a mouse, you have a screen, what is that in 3D? How do you interact with content? How do you select something in 3D? If you're a gamer and you have an avatar, do you select something with voice? Do you select something with your mouse? Do you select something by pointing at it? There's so many kind of different things of like how we interact with 3D content that again, needs to be updated through the cloud. Right, got it. This is kind of like an off schedule question, but what, yeah. what has been really hard about building the Echo platform? Like why is it a hard challenge actually? So for us, building all these kind of um, algorithms for compression and conversion of 3D assets, that was kind of one big task. Another thing was the integrations. So we're seeing all these different like platforms, if it's kind of Unity or Unreal or Android or iOS, or all these kind of SDKs are now introduced, like Niantic just introduced like this AR SDK for AR gaming. We need to kind of create integrations with that. So we always, because our kind of vision is to not bet on the horse, it's more about betting on the track. Like we don't care what game engine you use or what platform you use, we will make sure that works with it. We always need to be kind of ahead of the curve and make sure that we integrate with all of these platforms and all of these kind of different kind of gaming platforms. So that's definitely kind of adds the complexity. And, and in general, like if we go back to our conversation about like building a startup, Sometimes you're a small team and there's so many things to do. So just like building something is, is extremely difficult. And there's so many other things that you can do as a founder. Yeah, definitely. I want to actually go back to talking a bit about the, the startup building stuff. Like how big is the team now? So now we're five based in New York and we have over so like four part-time employees, but the core team is five, but now we're actually growing and hiring. So we're hiring engineers and, and, and developer relations and, and kind of sales engineers. Um, so definitely go to our website if you're kind of looking for a job and we're hiring a remote as well. So if you're kind of passionate about 3D and cloud and gaming, definitely check us out. Yeah, that's actually a good segue to, to ask like about how are you already tackling the challenges related to, to hiring great people? Like what ideas have you picked up from others like your angel yeah. investors like all the network you have there regarding hiring and like what have you already learned through trial and error yeah that's a phenomenal question so our investors really helped us a lot when it comes to hiring they obviously have connections in, in the industry and they obviously know a lot of really really good people and also when we found kind of candidates for, for the job, now our angels can kind of sometimes come in and interview them or kind of provide insights of like, is this the right person? Being a founder is really hard. Like you are constantly confronted with new things that you've never done, like hiring someone. Like, okay, how do you do that? How do you find the right people? How do you make sure that they kind of fit in the company culture? How do you make sure that you have the personal and professional fit with them? So all of these investors and all of these angels that you kind of brought in early on can really, really help you because they probably did that in different companies or they do that in their firm. So it's very, very valuable. And I think um, for us, we're super lucky to have investors that, that know how to do these things. This is like a, 
a follow-up for founders yeah. in the audience. How would you advise them to ask their network about hiring tips and things like that? What what would be the questions that you would be asking? So specifically the things I love right now that like the world is so remote and everyone's working from home and whatnot is to be over communicative. Like if you're talking to your investors, mm-hmm. you're talking to your network send updates constantly, let them know what's yep. going on. I send like a weekly update, um, a monthly update and a newsletter to always make sure that our network knows what's going on and what we're struggling with. And in that newsletter, in that update, I always ask, literally there's like a section about asked and the thing that are not going well. And I specifically asked, we need help um, hiring a sales engineer. Do you know anyone? Here's a link to the job description. Please send it, send people our way. Or yep. we need help with X. Here's a resource that could help. Please help us out. Or here's a blurb or, or anything. So I think once, and again, it ties back to what we said about kind of all these accelerator programs and tech starts, the more kind of the more you've kind of further your journey and the more you go through this kind of entrepreneurial endeavor, the more supporters you're going to bring in and the more kind of people kind of exist in your network. And it's your kind of opportunity to, to leverage that network. So constantly ask them for the things that you're struggling with. And again, be super, super transparent about this. We are going to do this. We need help with that. Can you help? Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, it's not that hard. But, but uh, it is, I mean, for founders, sometimes like you have that ego thing, like it's, it's hard to ask for help. So that kind of adds the complexity. But again, if you understand that kind of startups are kind of a team sport and it's all about kind of building the right team and, and kind of working with your supporters, kind of wear that vulnerability on your sleeve. Like if you know that you're not good at something and you need help, let people know, like they're on your side. So again, I, I really encourage you to be as over-communicative as you can, send as many updates as you can and ask for the things that you need. Yeah, you can't send too many investor updates. <laughs> and exactly. I've at least exactly. never gotten too many. <laughs> <laughs> 100%, 100%. How did you actually start studying for becoming a founder? It's definitely a lot of on-job training. So like, you yeah. always like, <laughs> like everything you do is only so brand new. And when you become like a master in like fundraising, it's only you need to become a master in hiring. Like these are two completely different things. Um, so it's hard, but again, it goes back to just like feeling comfortable asking people for help. It's, it's about feeling comfortable being a, a kind of, you know, socializing with other founders that are in the same boat and asking them like, how do you solve this problem? Again, going back to what we said about Techstars or any entrepreneur program find other founders like yourself who are literally in your shoes at this point and they're trying to tackle this. So one is really good at like online marketing. Talk to them. You might be really good at hiring. Share that advice. Try to be as kind of nice and, and, and help others and they will definitely help you in return. Yeah, I think like I'm, I'm just putting my investor hat on yeah. thinking about like how much I could actually like put together founders. And, you know, it, it is this way that they it doesn't really show up as something that, okay, you could actually leverage all the peers in the the industry who are also CEOs of a small yep. startup that's raised a seed round. It's you're struggling with the same issues usually. A hundred percent. It's it's usually yeah. the same issues for everyone. So one of the good yeah. things again, like you know, if we tell our investors, look, we have this problem, they can say, oh, we have a company in our portfolio who just had that problem last month. Here's how they solve it. Maybe talk to them. It's, it's, it's super amazing. I mean, the amount of kind of founder conversations that I have and the amount of kind of, kind of founders that I know that, again, I can kind of trust and tell them, look, we have this, did you have this problem in your startup? How did you solve it? And, and vice versa, they can come to me like, oh, you just raised. How did you do that? What is, what is the best way to fundraise and stuff like that? So we can kind of share information and help each other out. What questions do you think founders should be asking from investors 
uh, yeah. to know that that's the right fit. Like if you if you get to pick, let's say, love like, it. How, how do you understand that? So this is a perfect question, and it's really important for founders because a lot of the things that people talk about in the startup world is kind of product market fit, but Another thing that is super, super important is founder investor fit, and that you find the right people to put on your cap table that subscribe to your vision, that believe in you and the team. Uh, it's super, super important. When you do the fundraising process and you talk to as many investors as you can, obviously, try to find the ones you actually enjoy talking to, because these people will be on this journey with you for like the next 10 years. And if you feel comfortable with them, if you feel that you can kind of text them in 3 a.m. in the morning to kind of ask them a question, or that you feel comfortable sharing the kind of the good things and the bad things, that's a good sign. Another thing that you need to kind of understand is sometimes you, I don't know, some investor on LinkedIn connects with you, or you reach out to some investor. And the fact that they have the word investor in their title doesn't mean that they're going to invest and doesn't mean that they should. If I'm an, a, a founder in the gaming tech world and I'm talking to some investor that does medical devices, there's no real connection there. And that's fine. Like they don't have to invest in me and I don't, need, I don't want them to invest because they can't bring that value that I want to the table. At the end, when you're building your cap table, when you're building the people to, to invest, you have to find the people that have that market fit. That basically it's, it's obvious that they're going to invest in you. When I met our investor for the first time and I looked at their portfolio, I was like, oh my God, I have to be in that portfolio. Like it fits yeah. so well to what they envision, to what they believe in. Each um, investment firm has their own thesis. Like same way you're trying to solve a problem in the world, they are trying to solve a problem and they have a belief and they have some kind of vision of what they want to back. So make sure that that vision aligns with your vision. And, and again, don't be kind of sparkly eyes from every person that has the word investor kind of in their title. Yeah. You have to have founder investor fit. It's super, super important. And a realization that I think I should have had kind of early on is to understand like, not every investor is perfect for my company and I'm not perfect for every investor. And that's totally, totally fine. Yep, exactly. It's not you're, you're like, you know, applying for cash and then the cash doesn't come and it, yeah. you did something wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's more about, again, finding the right people. Like you're trying to build that network. Like we talked about support so much. You're trying to find the right people that if they are becoming a part of your company, it makes sense. Like they can actually help you to the next step. If you're a company in the gaming tech world and you're taking money from someone who invests in, I don't know, consumer, how can they help you? Like how their network is relevant to you? You have to kind of, you have to kind of assess that really, really early on and understand that again, the same way product market fit is really crucial. So is founder market fit. So is founder investor fit. And so is investor market fit. Yep. All of those. Yeah, definitely agree. Another like pretty Pretty important question is is the company culture. Do you already know what the the current company culture is like? Because I think when when a group of people get together, it's already forming there, and you adding more people. But like, do you have plans on how you want to shape the culture or sort of coach the culture to become something? Yeah, so it's definitely something that kind of builds up as you go along. For us in the beginning, the thing that worked really well for us is that, again, me and my co-founders are brothers, like it's my twin brother. And even our third co-founder, while he's not like a twin brother, very similar backstory, very similar values, uh, very similar kind of background. So we have that kind of family cohesion kind of inside the company. And that's a good thing. Like that's at least the thing that we knew in the beginning that everyone's really open. We feel like it's a family and we can kind of really, really be open with one another. But yeah, I think kind of the more the company grows, the more people we're bringing in, 
company values, company culture is something that is super important for me personally. Again, I think specifically now with COVID and everything that everything is working remotely and even our company is kind of remote, it's really important to over communicate. Like you really need to feel comfortable with your teammates that you can tell them everything, how, how things are going. If something is stuck, let them know because it's hard when everyone is not physically next to you, you still need to find that cadence to really be on top of things and report to one another and make sure that again, this kind of team sports is really kind of executing as, as it should. Like thinking about the whole like changing of this world that we're living nowadays with everybody working from, or more and more people working from home, not going back to an office, like you raised your round during the pandemic. Can you, can yeah. you talk about that experience? What was it like? Oh, that is so funny. Cause yeah, if you think about it, I raised from people that I never met. Like we've raised millions of dollars without physically meeting these people, but look how amazing it is. Like it's a possibility. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're not sure about like your prospects of like raising, now your chances are actually much higher because you can raise from anywhere. Our lead investor in the last round are in Colorado. We're in New York. If, if that physical was a prerequisite, maybe we would never have met. But now when we're in this kind of remote first world, you can actually engage with people all over the world. So that kind of aperture opens up and you as an entrepreneur have more opportunities out there because it's okay. Like you can be in Europe and talk to investors in the US and vice versa, and that's fine. So definitely leverage that opportunity. Understand that now the kind of work, the world is a little more open, a little more global, and you can kind of engage with investors anywhere. If you believe that your chance to raise funds is like, I don't know, one out of 50, talk to 50 investors. <laughs> if you feel that you're, uh, chances are one in a hundred, talk to a hundred investors, but now you have more investors because you can literally, you know, jump on a, on a zoom call with anyone and engage with them. And it's much more easy because you don't have to kind of travel to, to see them in person, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was eight years ago when I was raising the last mm-hmm. time for my startup. And we, like we were at Sand Hill road <laughs> doing <laughs> from Helsinki. Wow, wow, wow. There. I mean, how difficult that was obviously. And like for you, like the, the f- most physically, mentally, Sometimes suddenly you're literally not in your kind of kind of home turf. Yep. And now like you can literally do fundraising from your living room. So founders out there, be very, very optimistic about kind of your, your prospects. Yeah, exactly. Hey, as uh, last question before we go to the final questions here. So yeah. I, I wanted to ask like, what are the next steps for Echo? You guys are scaling. What are some interesting things that you're planning to, to build out? Yeah. So now we're scaling like mad. We're hiring more and more people. So definitely kind of check out our website if you're kind of looking for a job in the world of AR, VR, gaming, 3D, but also kind of we're expanding the product. So now, as I mentioned, like um, there's a lot of kind of new game engines that are out there and new kind of uh, gaming platforms, like the one that I mentioned from Niantic. So we're constantly working on integrating with them and kind of new partnerships um, that we can kind of facilitate there. But for us, the vision, again, as I mentioned, it's kind of become that go-to cloud solution for gaming, for AR, VR, for 3D. And for us, like we're super obsessed with just making developers' life easier. And that's kind of a constant North Star in our roadmap. Once we scale, we just want to make sure that we can bring more and more developers in the platform, make their lives easier, make game development much, much easier. And, and that's basically our kind of thing that guides us every day as we scale. Nice. Hey, final questions, Elon. So yeah. what's your favorite book and why? Well, the cliche will probably be kind of Ready Player One because it talks about kind of gaming and metaverse and ARVR, like the things that I really love the most. I mean, for me, reading that book was really um, was really amazing because I kind of really saw myself in the kind of world I'm trying to build actively. Another book recommendation that I would say that is more entrepreneurial driven is Five Temptations of a CEO. That's a that's a book that basically it's really really short, but basically kind of talks 
about like the do's and don'ts of a company founder. And that book was recommended by one of our investors, which again, is just another plus really good investors. Isn't that the Patrick Lencioni book? I think so. Yeah. 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 I, I, he has like 25 books like, or something, <laughs> yeah. which are all kind of like, you know, hundred and very digestible. Pages. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Really good. There's the five dysfunctions of a team is like the classic out of those. Yeah. It's, they're really good. Do you have a story that shaped you in how you approach your work today? This is a story that I always tell that basically was a conversation I had with a mentor during Techstars. And I always tell it because it kind of such a, for me, it was transformative kind of understanding like the value of our product. So during Techstars, as I mentioned, there is mentor madness and you talk to as many investors as you can and as many uh, mentors as you can. And one of those mentors was a banker. And I was like, okay, this is not relevant. Like banking, gaming, AR, VR, like how does that relate to anything? But I was like, fine, we have like a 30 minute ch- chat, let's talk. And I asked him like, what is the biggest issue in the banking world? And he was like, well, we have all these banking apps, but they're all the same. And no one can choose our bank as opposed to like another bank because everything is exactly the same. And all the youngsters are not interested in like choosing a specific bank and, and there's no, no more physical banks anymore. Like branches are closing down. So I was like, you know what? What if your banking app had a camera that if you kind of swipe left, you uncover a camera, suddenly it spawns a virtual ATM in augmented reality that you can play around with, do transactions in AR and gamify the experience of banking. Do you think new generations will love that? And he was like blown away. So from that conversation, we started out like really like, ah, we have nothing to talk about to getting to the point that, oh my God, we can gamify banking and that would be an amazing thing. Um, I thought it was fascinating. So I think for kind of any entrepreneur there, and that's kind of the lesson I've learned that start thinking about like non-obvious use cases for gaming. Start thinking about like non-obvious industries that can adopt 3D content and just have like a five minute conversation with something in that, in that domain. And maybe just from a five minute conversation, you'll find like this really innovative solution to a new industry with game tech or with AR VR or with 3D that again, wasn't obvious five minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's so you can apply that to so many things like yeah, and every day. Yeah. Exactly. And specifically now that gaming again becomes like social networks and, and gaming is actually e-commerce and gaming is now like all these different things. You, you should definitely, talk, again, going back to where we started this conversation of like talking to as many people as you can, talk to as many people as you can in different industries as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a really good one. Alon, the last question that I want to ask you is like, what's the best way for people to, to reach out to you? Oh, perfect. So definitely go to our website. It's www.echo3d.co. So E-C-H-O-3D.co. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, underscore Echo3D underscore, and you can reach out to our team, join our Slack channel. I'm kind of, you can interact with our community, see what people are building in the world of gaming, in the world of AR, VR, in the world of 3D. Would love to connect with anyone. Again, if you're looking for a job or just looking to talk about AR, VR, I'm obviously a big fan of that. Nice. Hey, this was so good. There were so many topics really good topics to, <laughs> to cover yeah we, we need to do it again in a few years would love you, to. you you've done some more stuff <laughs> some interesting <laughs> stuff you can share yeah i would love to yeah yeah this was so much fun thanks hey take care man Bye-bye. thanks bye if you like our content please hit follow or subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app so that you'll get notified when next week's episode is available And in the meantime, please go and check out our website at EliteGameDevelopers.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter on what's happening in gaming startups. 
See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.